Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And this week we're going to dive into the whole Robin Hood and GameStop topic here because I've been seeing a lot about this uh, on my Facebook group here, but also just in the media. And there's a lot of hype around this story, but I really want to provide a more rational look at this and what you should be thinking about and not thinking about perhaps And to do that, we're going to have a guest come on in a little bit to give us a more rational look at the market and what this might mean in the long term. And also look at some of the ethics that involve communicating during times like these as well. Lots to cover here, so let's get to it. Now, the financial markets can be very, very complicated, and this is certainly a complicated story. But there are some simple elements we can pull out, and we're going to start off with the practice of short selling, which is what created this problem in the first place. Now, before we go too much further, I want to let you know that I am going to be overly simplifying things because I don't understand most of the market myself. I have a financial advisor to guide me on these things, and I would guide you to get your own financial advisor as well before you put a significant amount of your money into financial markets. You can lose a lot. And you can gain a lot, but you really need to understand what's going on first. And I'm going to give you an explanation of short selling that I can understand, uh, but there's a lot more to the story here. So please, please find a professional, and that's going to be a theme as we go throughout this topic. Uh, So the first thing that happens in short selling is that you borrow a share of stock from an institution. And you should know that stocks are fractions of ownership of a corporation. There's a finite number that are issued out. Sometimes they issue more shares, but for the most part, there is a set amount of stock out there. You can only own so much stock, and that stock has value. It's a fraction of a piece of a company, and that's why these things have uh, so much potential to earn money for people. So you borrow that share from an institution when you want to short it, and then what you do is you take that borrowed share and you sell what you borrowed on the market. And you can see where the risk levels increase dramatically here. This is the equivalent of borrowing your friend's car and then selling it and hoping that you can get enough money to pay back your friend or give him back the car uh, when you're done with whatever scheme you're running here. So you basically, again, borrow the share of stock, sell the stock, and then you hope that the share value goes down. If it does, that's where you stand to profit. And if you Uh, play it right, you can buy back the stock that you borrowed and return it to the person or institution that lent it to you. And then, of course, you can profit. And that's how short selling works in a nutshell in a way that I can understand. So if we take a look here at a simple spreadsheet, let's say you bought a stock for $100 on January 1st. And if it dropped to $50 on February 1st, you would be ahead by 50 bucks. Makes a lot of sense, but it's risky because here's what can happen. GameStop Uh, went from uh, a very low number. It was in the 3 to $4 range a few months ago. I think in early January, it was doing a little bit better. But now the stock is up to $325 after this short squeeze happened. That is unusual, uh, to say the least. And it also costs people a lot of money. And here's how it costs money. Because unlike going long with a stock where you buy a stock and hold it in the hopes that it goes up in value, you never risk more than you put in. You can't be told to pay more money if the stock goes down. But on a short sale, you really have a ton of risk where you can end up owing a lot more than you put in. So let's take a look at where GameStop was back in January. The share price was $18.84 on or about January 1st. And that was a high watermark for the company. The stock had been in the toilet a few months earlier. 
and they were doing better here because the company survived the holiday season that a lot of people thought they wouldn't survive. But if you're working at a hedge fund, you're probably looking at this saying, yes, they survived the holiday season, but are they going to get through the year? And they may think, you know what, they're not going to do as well here. So they go to their boss at the hedge fund and say, hey, boss, let's short 100,000 shares. I think we can make a lot of money. And you can do that. Uh, you short those shares, you sell them for 1.8 million bucks, and then you wait and hope that the stock goes down in value. But the opposite happened in a much worse way because on February 1st, or at least this morning, uh, the stock was worth $325, which means that you would owe $30 million for shorting the stock that went in the opposite direction, going up instead of going down as you anticipated. And this is the risk that you run when you short stocks, whether you're a retail investor or a big hedge fund. And what this ended up costing hedge funds was about $20 billion in losses last month. That is significant, and that's real money because the companies or institutions that they borrowed these shares from wanted those shares back as the value started increasing, and now that's a debt that you've got to pay. And this has impact across the broader market because you've got to pay for this somehow, and so what do you do? You start selling stocks that you're long in that are actually good stocks to get some cash that you can use to pay back the money that you owe, or you get bailed out by another hedge fund, but they may have to sell some stocks to do the bailout. So you can see how this stuff resonates. And there was a real confluence of factors that led to what occurred here. And Jason Calacanis, I thought, summed it up best. He is a tech investor who said on Twitter, I guess professional short sellers never considered what would happen if they got squeezed by a legion of tiny retail investors with 20-year-old forum software, a free trading app, and a $600 stimulus check at their disposal. A perfect storm. And in many cases, people had their stimulus checks deposited directly uh, into Robinhood, which is a free app, which I'm sure you've probably heard of by now, that allows you to trade stocks without having to pay a commission. And typically, when you trade stocks, you have to pay a little bit for each transaction. Uh, so when I started looking at this stuff years ago, the big innovation back in the early 2000s was that you could get a brokerage account online and pay only maybe $8 per trade. But a trade is the selling and the buying. So if you sold the stock for $8 in commission and then had to buy another stock, you paid $16 in fees just to get the transactions going for those trades. And it made it very difficult for people with just a little bit of money to really get into the market because of those costs involved with all the different transactions. Robinhood will let you take you know, maybe 500 bucks or less drop it into your Robinhood account and start trading without having to pay commissions at all. And in addition to those commission-free transactions, Robinhood also allows people to own fractions of shares. So let's say you wanted to buy some Amazon stock. Well, last night the share was trading at about 3,200 bucks per share. Lots of money there. Let's say you only had $50 to put in on Amazon. Well, you can pop onto your Robinhood app and Put in 50 bucks and they will allow you to own a fraction of an Amazon share. So you can participate in the market in a way that you couldn't participate before. So no fee and fractional share ownership. And that kind of started the foundation of what led, I think, to uh, what we saw with GameStop. So to tell us more of the story, we're going to bring on my friend Daniel Klein, who I've known for many years now. Daniel's a journalist who once worked at the Boston Globe. He then spent a number of years at The Motley Fool doing articles and a lot of their video content. 
And now he's with another firm called 7investing.com, which is another news site that covers the markets and makes stock recommendations. What I like about Dan is that he's got an ethical approach to all this stuff. He follows very strict ethics guidelines as to how he reports things through his work. And I think it's important to get a more, again, rational perspective on all that's going on and give you some things to think about prior to investing on your own. So let's take a look and see what he has to say. All right, joining me now is Dan Klein, who's going to help us make sense of all of this. Good morning, Dan. You're in, in warm Florida, and I'm currently getting snowed on, although I guess uh, it's raining here, so, you know. <laughs> I, I can't help you make sense of it, Lon. I can, I can give you some details. I can tell you what I think about it. None of this makes any sense. It's not entirely unprecedented, but the volume of it is crazy. Well, good. So let's let's see if we can maybe try to understand what we what we kind of don't understand. <laughs> that we'll kind of take it from there. So let's start off with how did this happen? Because when I look at how much how many outstanding shares there are of GameStop, there's what seventy million shares, give or take. How how does this group of redditors make the market move that significantly? Well, this started with something technical. People who analyzed stocks looked at it and went, wow, there are so many people short on, on GameStop that if we bought this stock at some point, they're going to have to cover those, those shorts and that's going to cause the stock to go up. That's a, sh- a simple short squeeze. It happens from time to time. The extent of it was unbelievable because there were, uh, there were 134% of shares. There's no limit to how many shorts people can buy. And shorts are a, a mixed message. I'm not a fan of them. I don't buy shorts. Because to me, if you're shorting a company, you're betting it's going to fail. And that's basically betting against people's jobs. I, I, but it's legal. And there are reasons for it that, that make some sense. But there's 2.4 million people in this Reddit group. And that's enough to move the share price of this stock. And what happened is a bunch of people said, oh, let's buy this. It starts to go up. And as that's happening, people who know nothing see, oh, my God, I'll just buy GameStop. I had random people on the street see me wearing a seven investing shirt and ask if I should, if they should buy GameStop. Here's the reality. Don't. <laughs> as tempting as this is, I, here's what I liken it to. Let's say you're a casino gambler. I'm a casino gambler. I play blackjack, which is math and odds. But if you walk into the casino and you put your money on eight on the roulette wheel and it hits and they give you a bunch of money, you're going to think, oh my God, you win at roulette all the time. Like it's so much fun. <laughs> I'm good at this. <laughs> and, right. And, and here's the thing. You don't, you're not good at it. And you're the sucker here. Like the, these stocks are being manipulated. It's a pump and dump. This happens all the time with penny stocks. Somebody goes on the internet. They try to rouse people up to buy some unheard. This stock's going to cure cancer. And you go to their website. And it's like, we're working on a cure for cancer. Well, so am I. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> there's, there's no legal claims. There's no real basis for that. And then the stock goes from two cents to 30 cents. And someone goes, oh my God, if it just goes to a dollar, I'm going to be a millionaire. The problem is no one tells you when to sell. So the guy who's pumping it up, he sold at 28 cents. Maybe it peaks at 50 and then it goes back to zero. That's what's going to happen here. GameStop is fundamentally an okay company. They're, they're selling something that doesn't make a lot of sense anymore because digital downloads will ultimately hurt their business. They're benefiting from the console cycle and they have really good management and really smart people on the board. So it's possible they'll pivot to doing something else entirely. Self-serve frozen yogurt? I'm not really sure. They could change their business. And that's an argument to be lightly bullish on them. Back at the old price, 
I wasn't. I think they're going to struggle. Look, they're called GameStop, and you don't need to go there to buy games. I liken it to Barnes & Noble. I go to Barnes & Noble to look for ideas for what to buy on Amazon, but at least they'll sell me a cup of coffee. I'm not sure what GameStop is going to be selling me two years from now. And, you know, and, and throughout all this, with the stock at, at, at its all-time ever high, even when it was profitable, it, it's, it's higher than it was when it was profitable, the GameStop near me is closing its doors. They're selling everything in the store, including the shelving. And there's a guy out there right now in the snow holding up a sign telling me to come in and buy the shelves off the thing. So the, the company fundamentals are not good right now. So that store closure is intentional. GameStop decided about a year ago, we have way too many stores. There's like four that I could easily drive to within 10 minutes. So they said, look, we don't need this many stores. And one of the smart things about their management is that most of their leases are one or two year leases. So they have the ability to as, so retail is changing. You hear this argument about the retail apocalypse. There is no retail apocalypse. Pre, pre-pandemic about 13.5% of all sales were uh, retail sales around the internet. At the height of the pandemic, it's about 20%. Post-pandemic, it's gonna be 14 or 15. So good retailers are still winning. GameStop, has just decided we can't be what we were. We need to cut costs. And they're one of the few companies that has done really well managing their money, sort of managing their death cycle as a way to figure out how we could be something else. But the stock price is not connected to the fundamentals of the company. It could have been any stock. I mean, AMC. AMC was a business that was dying before the pandemic that if it survives will look very, very different. And it's basically people picking a name saying, let's get behind it. And at some point you can manipulate that up. But as much as all these people are saying, oh, we're going to hold forever. They're not. They're in it to make a quick buck. So it's going to collapse and you don't know when it's going to collapse. So if you were someone who owned GameStop because you believed oh my God, there's a small bullish case where five years from now, I think this company can say double, sell right now, sell as fast as you possibly can because (laughs) anything you had was realized. If you were someone who was playing this speculatively, sell and put your money into companies that you believe in long-term. Look look, look around you in the room. I see some Macs behind you. Mm -hmm. There's probably a cup of Starbucks coffee somewhere over there. It's not that hard to figure out. And as individual investors, long-term is where we have an advantage. You, you hear all of this, this is tilted against the little guy. It is when you talk about high-frequency trading and day trading. There used to be a point where a regular person could day trade and look at the numbers and figure out that's all being done by computer now. You have no opportunity to compete there. But if you identify a good company and hold it for 10 years, you'll be doing great. Uh, pull, take any big company, Microsoft. Look at the 10-year chart, and you'll see points where it dips by 50% or 20% or 30%, but long-term, it looks like this. It goes up. So you, you either identify things by doing your own due diligence, or you look to someone like me who works at a service that sells stock picks. I, I, I won't push that too much. Or you look to my old colleagues at The Motley Fool who have an amazing track record of, of picking stocks. So there, there are great places to go. Here's where you don't go. You don't listen to Jim Cramer. You don't listen to what people are talking about on the internet. That is a terrible place to get advice. You don't get caught up because usually in these pump and dumps, by the time you hear about it, it's too late. This has been a little different because it's, it's we don't know when it's going to end, but it's going to end and it's exhausting. This isn't worth it. When I see people who are like taking mortgages so they can buy shares in an inherently flawed company, that's the most depressing thing in the world to me. And it, it, it ends badly. It ends with suicides, most likely.
and, and this is something where you look at this David versus Goliath thing. I mean, there's something to this where, yeah, screw those hedge funds that have been profiting off of people's misfortune. Um, but in, in any, any war of like a freedom fighter kind of war, that sometimes the freedom fighters get killed. And in this case, you know, you could make your point but also lose a lot of money that you might not be able to afford to lose when this finally it, drops because it is just artificially high, GameStop. So this is a, a you know, you're at risk here if you're not uh, planning your exit, I'm, I'm guessing. And then the, once these people start panicking and running for the, the hills and start pushing more of this, this inventory of shares back out on the market, the reverse effect's going to happen, right? I mean, we're going to see this thing plummet when you're, everyone's you're gonna see, enough, right? You're going to see drops of 80, 90% in seconds. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's very much like right now when people try to buy into an IPO and some of these IPOs that are often hot for stupid reasons because we don't know the finances too well behind most of these companies. And you see, yep, it came out at 40 and by the time you could buy shares, it's a 210. You know, that's tends to what happened on the way down. And this isn't David versus Goliath. Are there inherently things wrong with hedge funds? Yes. Placing massive short bets, uh, manipulating the market with high-speed trading. There are some things that the SEC should step in and regulate, but these aren't things individual investors should be bothered by because you shouldn't be trading. Statistically, the more trades you make in your account, specifically the more you sell, the more money you're going to lose. 97% of people who day trade make, don't make money. And of the 3% who do, almost none of them turn an actual profit when it comes to fees and taxes. So you're playing a game that sounds seductive. And look, if you want to take a tiny bit of your money and treat treat it like a casino. That's okay. I'm not against casinos. I like casinos. Right. But if you want to take your retirement and your investment, you are better off just buying an ETF or an index fund, or, you know, I'm a big fan of buying individual stocks, but you have to know what the companies are or listen to people who do. And again, those people are not on television for the most part, <laughs> because most of television is, is people who are pushing trading. They're people who are, I don't want to say working for those hedge funds, but they're in that same sort of universe. They're not giving you, because look, Warren Buffett says this all the time. People don't invest like me because what I do is boring. <laughs> Buying Coca-Cola and having the dividends, you know, every two and a half years pay for what he paid for the stock or whatever the number is. That's not that exciting. There's no story. Like I love telling the story of how I, I was in a casino once and I was waiting for a buddy. So I put $20 in a slot machine and I don't play slots all that much usually. And my first push, I won $1,400. Like that's an right. exciting story, yeah. but it's not investing. It's not, right. it's not even how I consider gambling. Like it, it's a bad idea. Right. So if you want to fight this war, have at it, but you're, you're going to lose money at some point. You know, you, maybe you got lucky this time and, and the right set of circumstances aligned and everyone knows GameStop. It's something that people see closing all around them and the people losing their jobs. And there's a story here where, yeah, you could you know, stick it to those hedge funds. But in the end, it, it, there's risk involved here and you have to be really careful about that. And, and you mentioned something also about maybe not, not a collusion, but, but, a, but a group of people that are in kind of the same community of, of thought. Uh, related to the media and some of these hedge funds. And you've been working in, as a journalist in this industry for a long time. There's ethics standards that you have to follow based on whatever you know, company you're working for. But what, what is the difference between what's allowed by the SEC, which here in the United States regulates all of our financial activities, uh, versus becoming a stock manipulator? Because I, I'm thinking here, and I'm thinking about my own experiences in the influencer industry, where people pay to have certain messages presented to the outside world, sometimes without disclosure. 
Um, these hedge funds buy these short sells, these short, I'm sorry, they buy these short stocks, or these stocks, they buy these stocks short, I should say. Uh, and then they start putting out analyses saying, we know this company is going to fail. Oh, and by the way, we have a short position in this stock. And that apparently meets the standard for what the SEC would require for disclosure. Um, they could be out paying influencers to trash GameStop also to help drive that stock down lower. What's legal and what isn't? Did these, did these Redditors break any laws? Because they are profiting, Probably. some of them. Um, or, or is this Probably all just fair game? The, the law breaking will probably happen when some of the people at the top of this start selling out their positions while telling you to hold. Mm -hmm. And again, though, that's very gray area. So let's look at a legal way of, of I don't want to say manipulating the market, but moving the market ahead. Um, let's say you have a giant stock picking service, like where I used to work at Motley Fool. When they release their new stock pick, chances are that pick is going to go up maybe significantly as hundreds of thousands of people rush into buying that stock. But one of the things they would tell you is, one, you don't have to rush and buy it, or it doesn't matter because we're not buying this based on it, where it is, you know, up or down 10%. We're buying it to hold forever, to hold for, you know, five to 10 years or until you need the money in retirement, very long time thresholds. That's So that type of, quote, manipulation, which is more just, hey, you're popular. So if if... Jim Cramer goes on TV and he really pushes a penny stock, it's going to move up. Now, most companies in that space have their own field of ethics. If you're putting out short reports and shorting it, generally that's sleazy, but at some point you get judged on your record. Were you right or were you wrong and just pushing it down so you could sell? So there are some very credible people out there that as journalists put out negative information as their business. Like, yep, I think this company is fundamentally bad. We do the opposite. We, we pick companies we think are fundamentally great. Now, I know if I write about any company that I own that is declared in, in it, if I talk about them on air, I generally mention that I own that stock. That being said, as, as exciting and large as our audience is, it's not big enough to move the market. But we, for example, don't cover penny stocks unless there was a fundamental reason to. Let's say a, a penny stock came out with a working COVID vaccine. Well, maybe we would discuss it. But for the most part, stocks are worth, you know, if, if a stock's a penny stock, it's because it's not a good company. People also always ask us, well, what, what's the best stock under $10? That's not a great way to buy stocks. Most brokerages let you buy fractional shares. You are way better off buying a $5 chunk of Amazon than 5,000 shares of JCPenney. Do not buy shares of JCPenney. They are <laughs> bankrupt. They are not going to make it. We saw that happen with Hertz. When there is a bankruptcy, uh, individual shareholders almost always fully get wiped out or get vastly diluted. So right, you're on the bottom of the list on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's exhausting to play these games. Wouldn't it be a lot nicer rather than like going to bed sweating about what, you know, the price of AMC or GameStop or who knows what terrible company is going to be tomorrow morning and whether you lose your house. Wouldn't it be nice to just put like a few hundred bucks into good companies every month and and eventually be rich? Like that right. that's how it works. So Get rich slowly. Right, it doesn't happen as quickly. It's not as immediate. It's not going to. It's not going to. It's not going to be something you hear in the news cycle, right? It's it's just slow and steady growth as uh, as it goes. And and you know, I used to work yeah, at a company that returned a dividend every year for the last seventy years, and and it never makes the news because it just is there and it makes money and that's it. So it, it was never exciting to people, but it but it's a good healthy it, investment. But what, you know, what really risk do these redditors have? I mean, are they? Are, I mean, could they find themselves in 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 federal prison after this if they are? 
doing something that could manipulate the market? Because I would imagine a lot of them now feeling like, hey, we, we did something here. We moved the market in a significant way. Uh, some estimates are $70 billion uh, have, have had to be found to cover these, these short losses or potential short losses. Uh, what, what, what should they be thinking about ethically uh, and legally as they ride out the rest of this wave here? So they probably don't have any legal exposure. And for the small percentage of these people that are really taking on the man, this is going to make shorting things a much more difficult decision. Now, Dan, another thing that's come up this week is that Robinhood is limiting people's ability to trade GameStop and other shares in the wake of this short squeeze. A lot of people are saying that Robinhood is not living up to its name, that they are bowing to the needs of the hedge funds over the needs of the individual investor. What's going on with Robinhood? Are they telling the truth here? Because their answers have been very convoluted and difficult to understand. What happened is the cost of them fulfilling orders became too expensive and they had to stop taking orders so they could go out and raise a billion dollars. And right now they're limiting orders in GameStop because they can't financially do it. Now, Robinhood was never steal from the rich, give to the poor. Robinhood always made money by selling your order flow and your data. They don't charge for trades because they're selling you out. They're doing everything people don't like Facebook for just with your trading information. So the narrative here was never what people thought it was. And look, if, uh, you know, if there's going to be a riot over the last PS5 at Walmart, and Walmart says we have to close our doors so there isn't a riot and people don't get hurt. That's not Walmart screwing you. That's Walmart being in a, between a rock and a hard place and doing what it has to do. Why do they need cash? What do they need cash for if I'm already so, buying so, stock? So there's a period between when you place the order where they've put the stock in your account, where it goes to this clearinghouse to be executed. And because it's become so difficult to execute these trades because the price is so volatile, the clearinghouse asked for a higher level of deposit to back up the, the sort of delta that can happen in the time period between. Normally, this isn't a big thing because volume is somewhat predictable. When you have something, you know, be the highest trading stock when it's normally lightly traded, that causes this sort of fear in the trading house. And here's the other thing we might see. So right now, we have zero fees for trades because there's money to be made by selling your trade data, by selling the execution of it. And, and there's a, a delta in between what you pay and the trade price, and sometimes there's pennies to be made there. That could go away. You, you might see a return to having to pay money per trade, which would greatly curtail sort of this like wild day trading speculation. Um, you might also see more of like an Amazon model where you pay like $99 a year for unlimited trading. Because as you know, the $129 you pay for Prime doesn't offset the cost of shipping for most Prime users, but it does offset some of the money, which makes the service viable, makes it sort of, you know, it, it, it's the foundation for all of it. So you might see some pretty significant things and a return of pay for trade. That's not great for anybody, you know? I mean, look, I don't make a lot of trades. I, I, I am buying stock. I've, I've sold one stock since the pandemic started and that was WWE because I didn't like how they treated their employees. They're making more money and acting like they're hurt by the pandemic. And that's awful to me. And it just became untenable to own. That's probably the only stock I've sold in four or five years. So it's not like I'm a high volume trader. I am buying things a couple of times a month, usually in one new position and adding to other positions. But if you have to start paying $7.99 for that or $5.99, or, that could change because of this. You might see some of these businesses like Robinhood, which was about to IPO, 
people might look very hard at its finances and go, this business is not set up for some of the things that could go wrong. This is kind of a worst case scenario because their reputation is trash. Now, the people who, who think Robinhood screwed them, they're not watching this right now. You know, they're, they're in a Reddit group, some route where plotting that the price of silver should be the next thing to be manipulated or, or, you know, or trying to figure out whether, you know, we should buy, you know, which, which poorly performing airline we should try to pump up. I bought some Dogecoin. I, I, uh, I, I saw that go <laughs> up and down. So, oh, dear. Yeah. Dear God. They're doing crypto now also. Well, it seems like this, this is probably going to be something that's going to change things, but, but might not be something that becomes the norm. I think that we'll see probably a lot of these hedge funds decide how to handle their short positions a little differently in the future, just given how uh, much impact the, this group of Redditors was able to, to kind of drum up. Uh, and it sounds to me also that it looks like, you know, slow and steady wins the game here. And, and any kind of short term uh, uh, way, way to get rich quick is probably not going to be successful for most people. Um, so it, it's, it's not it's not going to work for the average person. And, you know, look, there are services like uh, like, you know, Jim Cramer sells a service which tells you to buy and trade. And and yes, if you're already very wealthy and you have nothing to do and can follow along exactly, you will probably do OK. The average person who's just putting a few hundred, a few thousand, whatever it is, into the market every month, every quarter, they don't have the time and energy for this. It shouldn't become your job. It shouldn't become, you know, someone who who subscribes to 7investing should be excited to see our new picks each month, and they should glance through them and maybe read one or two of them in areas that they're interested in. Or if they're really into the market, maybe they read all of them. But that should take you like an hour of your month. If you watch my show, 7investing now, you know, you're going to get a lot of explaining the market with a long-term view. And it's a nice, fun thing to listen to in the background while you're doing something else. It shouldn't become your religion. And that's what day trading becomes to a lot of people. And again, it never ends well. And the worst thing that can happen is for you to succeed early because it creates a false narrative. Great. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for joining us today. We can, you can find uh, Dan's work at 7investing.com. I appreciate uh, helping us uh, get some clarity to all this and some <laughs> rational thought on, on what we should look at next with this because it is uh, never easy to make money in this market and uh, certainly not in the short term. So thanks again, and we'll probably have you back on when something else like this happens. <laughs> thanks for having me. All right. So I want to thank Dan for coming on the show. Let me know what you thought down in the comments. We'll probably bring him back on again if we have similar things like this erupt in the near future, which I am sure we will have. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I also want to thank everyone who contributed to the channel this week. Uh, on Super Chats, we had Grayson Petty, Robert Van Etta, and Eric's Variety Channel. They all contributed during one of our recent live streams. We also have some new supporters on the channel as well. Emily and Rich Grega subscribed via the YouTube membership program, and Thomas C233 subscribed on our Floatplane channel. I want to thank everyone who contributed this week and everyone who contributes on an ongoing basis, and all of you who watch on a regular basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support for our donor box page, which is the best way to help the channel. 
but we also support Patreon, the YouTube membership program, and Floatplane as well. So wherever you are, we are. We have other channels you can follow me on, and I would love for you to follow me on Amazon via my Amazon link there at the bottom, lon.tv slash Amazon shop. I'm trying to get above 2,000 followers over there, so please help if you can. We have our very infrequent email list that you can subscribe to at lon.tv slash email along with our Facebook group. And then we've got the store where I sell previously used items at low prices because I got to get rid of them. And there's only one of everything because these are the items that I actually reviewed on the channel. And we have an email list where you can sign up every time I update the store. And I'm about due to do another purge. So get in uh, so you can get yourself a good deal on something that I need to get rid of before my wife kicks me out of the house. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. Hope you all enjoyed this. It was fun to research this and talk to Dan. Let me know your thoughts again down in the comments below. And that is going to do it for now. We've got a bunch of tech reviews coming up later this week. So stay tuned and thank you all for your continued viewership and support. Until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Brian Parker, Jim Peter, Tom Albrecht, Frank Lewandowski, Mark Bollinger, and Chris Allegretta. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.